I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... You're now seeing the investor actually ask some pretty tough questions about whether or not they're advancing efforts for good, or is what their investment doing actually derailing progress in society? Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I am your host, Mark Walsh. Today's guest is Karen Warzazek. Karen is the area president, the D.C. area president for BNY Mellon Wealth Management. BNY used to be the old Bank of New York. It's a large financial institution, and she runs this area's wealth management division. Why do you care? Well, wealth management has become a very large and very important component of the major financial institutions around our nation. In fact, around the world. Why are they important? Because there's a lot of wealth, and the wealth gap is getting bigger and bigger, and more wealth is being managed by folks like Karen and her professional colleagues. But what they're trying to do, and I think they're getting better at it, is make sure that family wealth and those endowments and stuff are spending money and trying to help ESG, that's environmental, social, and governance, social impact investing, things that are trying to make our world a little bit better. It used to be make as much money for the clients as possible. Now it's try and make good money for the clients, but don't do it by screwing up the planet. So Karen and our conversation represents those trends, and I think you'll find this very heartening and illuminating. Here's our conversation. Karen, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So wealth management is a growth area, at least from where I stand and sort of watching the uh, the, the arena, a growth area for a wide variety of financial, financial institutions. It's both important because there's more wealth today. It's profitable for the institution typically. And also it can lead to a wide variety of products and services that the wealth management customer uses. Is that a fair summary of wealth management to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the growth of it, is almost directly correlated to the larger wealth that has come in this market recently? Not necessarily. So the growth in the space is actually an evolution of how the wealth is transferring hands. Got it. So if you think about that um, in, in with that construct, it looks different in these recent 10 years than it has for the prior 50. Yeah. And what percentage of your clients are families versus individuals? Um, I would say majority are families. Yeah. So since uh, in, in our organization, we serve you know, families in the highest wealth brackets, yeah. that tends to be multi-generational, many households that are part of that wealth system yeah. um, and attached to their businesses. Got so it. very different than, say, an individual who's trading on their own account in, uh, in a brokerage platform. Yeah. Bouncing around, I have to yeah. ask, what percentage of your clients are saying, I want to be in some crypto. Get me into some crypto for a portion of my my portfolio. Is that is that raising its ugly head? Yeah, so it, the better question is what percentage of clients are asking about crypto? Got it. And so rather than get me into crypto, because it's very nascent, it's hard to understand, it's hard to value, as we know. That's yeah. been um, all over the map. Pick a coin, right? But the be- the bigger question is, should I... Am I missing out? So that idea of FOMO that we all talk about is really tethered closely to crypto. Yeah. And we're doing a lot of work on the research side, of course, as are a lot of our competitors to really answer the questions. If you have it, where does it live within your wealth structure? 
So you've been in wealth management for a while. What are some other uh, entities you've you've worked with? Well, so um, from an investment perspective, entities. Sure. Um, I do a lot in uh, sustainable, what is called sustainable investing, or at BNY Mellon Wealth. We yeah. call that responsible investing. I've been in that space about 15 of the 25 years that I've been in wealth management, um, primarily out of uh, out of just the origins of some of my personal disciplines in values-aligned investing mm-hmm. and um, really helping work with families who are trying to now think about their capital in a purposeful way. Yeah, And then also organizations like tax-exempt organizations who are now trying to leverage that investment part of the balance sheet to line up with the grant-making part of the balance sheet. Mm. And I would say that's a both of those market segments, I hover over about 50-50. But you were, what, what are some actual companies you were with before BNY? Yeah, so I uh, led the market for both Rockefeller, which is now Rockefeller Capital, but uh, while I was with Rockefeller, it was Rockefeller Company, um, and also Pitcairn Family Office. So a lot of my background, almost majority of it is, in the ultra-high net worth family office space. Right. Um, and then what I call institutional light. So the uh, endowment and smaller foundation and endowment demographic that can't live in our mega platforms on the institutional side for size Mm -hmm. um, and find their way needing to be served on the private wealth platforms. Um, And that's a that's a large uh, area of expertise for me. So I'm sure technology has been an absolutely crucial element of the progression of the industry. What are some ways you you got into it, whatever, 15, 20, 25 years ago? What are some ways if you could go back to you 25 years ago when you were smiling and dialing, forgive the term, but originally getting into it, that technology has changed what a typical day for you and your colleagues is. Oh, gosh, tremendous. That's, that's, oh, that's a loaded question, but yeah. I'll, I'll build on it and we'll start simple. Um, you're not on the phone yeah. uh, to the degree that you are. So the, the allocation of time on the phone has allowed us to scale communication across all uh, – your entire client segment, the outreach for marketing is scalable because of because of technology. So I can leverage Salesforce and databases um, and CRM systems that allow me to reach more than one person at a time. Um, tremendously different. Which also then, if you circle back to your starting question, the growth of the industry, yeah, largely has been a byproduct of being able to reach more people more quickly. Um, in my opinion, and. The way we even um, process, you know, trades and investment and construct investment portfolios is a much more scalable, even with a custom look underneath it um, with technology. Um, when I started, it it really was the phone. It was yeah. the phone and it was an internal proprietary trading system. CRM really didn't exist, and so and I I remember. Let's go. CRM means uh, client relationship management systems. Got it. That are the technology, the infrastructure that allow companies like Salesforce to um, kind of really proliferate and deliver kind of their technology to all kinds of companies that need to reach all kinds of people mm-hmm. quickly. That's the voice of Karen Warzazik. Karen is the DC president for the BNY Mellon Wealth Management. Units and we've talked about the growth of AUM assets under management. Mm-hmm. What are some What are some figures about your company? What, how has AUM grown over what period of time? 
Oh, wow. So um, I, I wouldn't be able to put an absolute dollar to that, but I know that we see we are seeing year-over-year year growth in the single to double digits. There you go. Um, so it's big. In recent years. It's yeah. big. Yeah. So uh, talking about not-for-profit entities or, or uh, the endowments of universities and stuff, what's the blend of your colleagues and your uh, split between family wealth versus mm-hmm. endowments in that, 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 that arena? In the team that I oversee in the Washington region, we're about 50 50. So, some of us are dedicated mm-hmm. um, and have deep skill on the institutional side. Yeah. But, like I said, it's that it's that space that lives just below the mega institution. Right. That then we work with our partners under within BNY Mellon Institutional to deliver investment programs to those clients. Um, but there's Washington's a unique place. So, in Washington, we we house more foundations and in, institu- in in smaller endowments here by the numbers than many parts of this country, I'll and bet. a lot of that, and for reasons that are pretty obvious, our policy is centered here, right? Right, and so so headquarters want to be here of many of those organizations, um, associations that are tethered to lobbying efforts are here. So that's a large part of our client segment. And so that's why I think our team makeup in Washington looks probably different than, say, the wealth teams across the country sure. in the footprint of BNY Mellon. Well, also, I mean, I, I noticed that I think Harvard's endowment, Harvard is at $57 billion mm-hmm. or something stupendously high. But, uh, and I was chair of the board of my alma mater, I'm still in the investment committee, I think as you touched mm-hmm. on earlier, we all want to send a message to our constituents, be it our alumni or whatever, that we care about ESG mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So let's go to ESG. What does it stand for, and how do you see investment opportunities for you and your teammates in that specific arena? Yeah, so it stands for environmental, social, and governance. And um, and you, you, you asked a question around kind of constituents, and that's exactly right. We think of it as stakeholders. Yeah. So um, no longer is it really just... Um, you know the the company thinking about what it needs to do do for profitability and being true to values. It's about who their partnerships are with other companies in their supply chain, how they're treating employees and workforce, how they're building boards that are diverse and representative of who their customers are and right. their employees are. And so, on the flip side of that, you're now seeing the investor actually ask some pretty tough questions about whether or not they're advancing efforts for good or is what their investment doing actually derailing progress in society. And so it's been a wonderful moment in time. The pandemic has kind of opened up this um, awareness that I think didn't really exist before because ESG in a variety of forms has has been around a while, but depending on the interpretation at the corporate level, it's really looked like a a a, a legacy corporate responsibility group yeah. that many companies stood up and checked a box around. Exactly. And now it's really transcended throughout the entire vertical of a of an organization. And so our clients and investors and boards of directors that are challenged by other stakeholders, to your point about the the endowment and the board you serve on, is oh, wait a second, it's not just about the grants we're pushing out. Are we actually derailing our mission that we have set out to achieve under the IRS tax-exempt wrapper, right, and able to address all the stakeholders around the entire balance sheet? So so ESG is really a lens that you can apply methodology and discipline to to look through and 
determine whether those investments actually are advancing or detracting from good. Well, you touched on it, checking the box. I, I in my mm. opinion, uh, not that long ago, it was chin music. It was a, it was a, a, a vocal gesture to say, oh, take pick a company. Oh, we care about that. Look, yeah. we have you know Danny and Susie over here working on it, and they were sort of you know they just had no traction. But it seems like it's really right. gotten more important. Oh, absolutely. In fact, so much so, like we touched on multi-generational wealth. This is that intersection I think it's really shining a bright light on. Yeah. Is I call the rising generation of wealth holders um, rather than next generation because the rising generation of wealth holders are not just the younger generation, but they're also the recipient spouse yeah. of who dies first. Right. And so as a new wealth owner, whether it's the husband or the wife or the other partner, um, or the children, they increasingly pull heavily concerned about climate, concerned about poverty, concerned about housing inequity and health care inequities. And many of the generation that are kind of emerging in the professional workforce don't actually want to work for companies that are they will actually take lesser paying jobs if that company has a bad reputation or does not measure up to ESG metrics or yeah. that meet their that meet their personal ethos. And so that's a sea change from when I was coming up in the business is if you're an institution that is kind of plastered, I, I say kind of a headline risk, you're going to have a really tough time attracting talent. And that's part of what's so special about Washington is being really in front of and working closely, say, with organizations like Gallup here and understanding how to actually equip my 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 next workforce and then how do i actually serve their investment needs to the rising and emerging wealth owner wow you've tossed out a couple of yep. very important <laughs> issues that we're going to stay on because we're talking here on what's working in washington with karen warzazik she's the dc area president for bny mellon wealth management those types of issues and more coming up after this break We're taking a break to discuss some ways you might become a little more involved with what's working in Washington. There's several ways. Take a moment to rate us positively or negatively. We'd love to hear from you. Secondly, our audience is an obvious one. Folks that care about Washington, D.C. and the environs. Folks that care about the Federal News Network. Folks that care about our nation. If you'd like to have your message heard by that kind of audience, be sure to contact us for sponsorship opportunities. You can email me directly at walsh at AOL.com. That's W-A-L-S-H at AOL.com. Yes, it's a dated email address, but it still works. We're back at What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, and we're Joined today by Karen Warzazik. Karen is the D.C. DC area president of BNY Mellon Wealth Management. BNY, as you may recall, those of you who follow the banking industry for many, many decades, stood for Bank of New York. So BNY Mellon Wealth Management. Karen, before we took a little break, we were talking about a, a bunch of topics that are really ring a bunch of bells for me, uh, not just ESG, but social impact and others. But you also mentioned on the source of some new wealth with fresh agendas. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, one spouse passing away and stuff like that, but there are a couple of there, there's an example of that with Lorene Jobs, with Steve Jobs, but also Mrs. Bezos, uh, Jeff Bezos's former spouse, now is the source of incredible wealth and wealth commitment. 
And I think she, in my opinion, she is a amazing example, almost a shining light of fresh capital, fresh wealth, fresh capacity, exploring all new areas that as a, as with her former spouse might not have gone there. Are you seeing that in in the marketplace as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, before the break, we were talking about, you know, multi-generational wealth and uh, tensions with endowment investing, right, with um, kind of stakeholder groups. And I would say married couples fit that example sometimes. So when I think about who the next inheritor of the shared wealth is, um, uh, the, the spouse that leaves first, or in a divorce and a split, and being now in the seat of power over what that what that capital can do for you, she's a, she is a shining example because you can see exactly where her intentions about purpose weren't played out in a marriage, and she's able to play them out independently. And what you're seeing her execute on across, especially in the pandemic area era, and then also in kind of the socially social justice charged era that we are in in yeah. America, different than the rest of the world, but in America we're in a very socially justice charged space right now, and she's addressing some of those needs head on. And when you look at a variety of polls, which I do to really inform how I deliver advice to clients that are fi- trying to find me. A lot of that is around, you know, how do I actually put a dollar in motion for good? And how does the rising generation and the rising wealth owner think about purpose capital? Yeah. And women and next generation wealth owners pull increasingly high, meaning more than 70 percent in wanting to invest for good. Mm -hmm. And what that means, it might mean different things to each one of those stakeholders. Less yield, potentially. Well, no, in the old days, maybe if you're talking about uh, strategies that divest or undo an investment, now there are ways to activate capital, engage in capital, and actually have market rate or better performing returns. Some of the when you're when you're actually evaluating different approaches to investing responsibly, what you're really looking at, too, are, am I actually, as a business, do I have a going concern by not meeting the needs of my future stakeholder groups? That's a risk management tool. Mm-hmm. Ergo, profitability, mm-hmm. right? And so that's actually flipped quite a bit, and the data support it. Their Bloomberg Morningstar data that we look at show majority of funds in the t- upper quartiles that are ESG-oriented outperforming their traditional peers. Really? Absolutely. Well, the other thing— And that's because of risk management and okay. ex- extreme events, right? How does a company respond to a dislocation event, right? That if you, if you look at this moment in time and you have a dislocation event like the pandemic, which doesn't look different than, say, a war or financial crisis in certain respects— it, it it dislocates people disproportionately. And you're even seeing that as we come out of the pandemic and kind of get to this new normal, the wealth gap has widened. Yeah. And and so so the social justice charged buyers, investors are sitting back and going, wait a second, that that's an unintended consequence mm-hmm. of trying to create equities in a dislocation event. And so, so philanthropists, you know, and you look at Melinda Gates, also a great example of a philanthropist yeah. that's very squarely trying to address healthcare inequity and education inequity head on in America. Um, and so, it, so it's interesting as you take these investors and you sit with them privately outside of 
say, the, the container they live in relationship with, whether that's marriage or board, you start to then pick apart what, what purpose really means to each individual. Well, one thing, at least in my experience, that shows the collision of that <clears throat> is a college student saying that the college's endowment, and my, my alma mater, our endowment's about $600 million, so it's relatively small. It's a lot of money, I know, but versus the in the panoply of endowments is relatively, it's, you know, it's sort of mid-style, that, that the students are saying, you know, how dare we own an energy stock like Exxon, or how dare you own, uh, mm-hmm. well, I guess manufacturing guns and stuff like that could sort of get into a real difficult conversation. But energy is a category that any uh, portfolio manager mm-hmm. would probably want to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And this collision, at least I've experienced, collision between the altruistic attitude of a 21-year-old who yeah. wants to save the world or thinks that... <laughs> bad companies like Exxon are destroying the world, and what a portfolio has to do to fund the college. We saw that a lot, and I'm sure you do as well. Oh, absolutely. And I I serve right alongside you on a couple of boards, and this question comes my way as well. And and part of the reason is when you're starting to deconstruct an investment portfolio and you look at broad indexes and sectors that are attributed in those indexes, energy is a big part of every every the makeup of the broader market. Right. And so to try to replicate that investment experience isn't so easy as to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, yeah. right? And to your earlier point about maybe conceding returns, the early days, that's part of the reason why when you stripped a portfolio out uh, under in the, in the early days of ESG where you're negatively screening, meaning that I'm going to identify something and extract it, mm-hmm. you would expect if that... The, the thing you extracted then goes on to perform like energy will and always will in varying degrees, you're going to expend, expect to underperform. The key is in that investment committee is to actually communicate with the stakeholder group, the students in this case, about the option set when you think about the why you're in energy and how do you actually invest in transitioning to the save the world energy, right? So it isn't that the college student doesn't want the energy. They want the save the world energy. Exactly. We all consume energy. And it's about how am I investing in a way that transitions me to that future state? And so I don't believe divestment sometimes can get you there, which is what that college student that wants to save the world is saying. Yeah. Well, I guess then you have to end up saying what energy companies are both making energy Mm -hmm. we use today, but also investing in energy that we need tomorrow, which is a fair thing for that Mm -hmm. college student. I mean, I don't want to drill down in this conversation, but I I would argue that to me is the fair conversation to have. Like who's who's straddling where we are versus where we have to go. A hundred percent. And and I call those those companies identifying those are those are transition companies, right? Yeah. They're operating in, in two parallel tracks, right? They're trying to move from an extraction energy, meaning I'm gonna extract coal and resources, and they're trying to be a creator of. So say say take renewals and biofuels. And so to remove to to pivot from an extraction company and be able to co-invest alongside into a creator that's a worthwhile investment to that college student because the college student I rem, you know you might remind them they're they're transporting and getting places to and from they're working in buildings that have power ac etc they don't want to hear that they don't want to hear that but there's a way to achieve that yeah. with different kinds of energy and it's like and so the real question is then how do i think about the investment in that energy yeah and so you're right to to kind of push back on them in that way so we're talking with Karen Warzazik. Karen is the D.C. area president of BNY, BNY. Boy, I'm going to get that right at some point. BNY Mellon Wealth Management. 
So a uh, few minutes left. I- I'm sure back in the day, let's say three years ago, you put everything in FANG stocks. That's Facebook, <laughs> Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, Netflix no. and Google, and call it a day, right? Go out and have coffee. I'm sure those days are changing for you and your mm-hmm. colleagues. What are what are some of the challenges as FANG maybe fade not fade away, but alters its 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 behemoth like present presence yeah. in the overall market? What are some things and trends you guys are paying attention to? So the the trend is really because because it's interesting. It's always fun and it's so marketing worthy to to have fangs. Yeah. Right. So you can actually just sell that easily easily. But what the the bigger question really is that what did that represent? What do Facebook, Apple, Net, Netflix, Google represent as mega multinational corporations and the influence that those companies have on capital around the around the globe? Right. Period. And so when there's a change in what's happening in different economies around the globe that depend on any concentrated asset or group of assets, you're going to expect a shift in uh, risk and, and and even the the risk return profile that 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 foursome makes up. Right. Yeah. So what what you end up looking at thematically is okay. Where where are the future buyers at of consumer goods? Where how do we see digital shaping up, and what companies then comprise of how we're all embracing different digital approaches, either personally or professionally, and even companies that are running it. Are companies addressing sustainability and what I call going concerns? So are companies getting ahead of what climate action and regulations need to, they need to be able to respond to and report to? And then you start to look at the overlay of what that, what, what does investing in a sustainable enterprise look like? Yeah. Well, I guess it, doesn't matter as we wrap up today with our time, but because it's all going to be in NFTs uh, soon anyway. So that, that's where we're just going to put everything in NFTs. I joke, um, I, I kid because uh, we're all confused. But anyway, Karen, but I actually want to. I actually want to own the art, and I'm trying go. to get my head, my hand around the, the NFT. Whole digital with, thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we ask our guests uh, a, a kind of a challenge at the end of every conversation, and you are no exception, Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you ran the world for a period of time, not just an hour, but let's say some period of time where you could do it. What would you what would you stop and or what would you start? So if I if I put a worldwide lens on it, because I actually have very different views on geographies, but if I put a worldwide lens on it, I would think about how we fund and grow necessary ecosystems like education. Mm-hmm. It it is the great leveler to alleviating poverty, to skilling up in workforce to creating a healthier population and less demand on other on governments and sovereigns to address healthcare inequities. So I'd I'd probably think about how the globe comes together to fund education. Wow. I am in 100% agreement. I have invested in educate or ed tech companies that are trying to to your point upskill all of those terms we're now taking for granted mm-hmm. but are becoming more important every single day. So we are in violent agreement as they say. Excellent. So Karen Warzazek, the D.C. Area President for BNY Mellon Wealth Management. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you very much. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.